We spent the last seven weeks in a series that uh, continues tonight and will continue in January. We'll take a little pause for Advent. But uh, we've been talking about the faith. The scriptures say that there was a faith in Jesus that was handed down once for all time. And the reason we do that is not so that we can make sure everyone believes exactly the same thing or that because we have a checklist of everything that you need to believe to be a member of community church or anything like that, but because it's important for us to understand why the things that Josh read and the things that we sang are true and how they came to be true because God didn't just hand us a document. We have the blessing of the scriptures and that'll be part of what we talk about in the new year, but he didn't just hand us a document that says, here's everything that's true about me. He has played that out over time, over centuries. And it's important for us as people who are part of that story, who are his people, who are part of his, his presence and work in the world to know our story and to know what's true about God and about the way that he has revealed himself in the world. So that's what we're doing. And tonight, I want to do a couple of things. I want to, as we get to a point of pause before Advent, I want to recap just a little bit of the last seven weeks because I think it's important for us to see the big picture as we look at the Holy Spirit because this is the point where we get kind of the full picture of God, the picture of God as he is in his essence and as he is in and among us is revealed as we've talked about the Father, we've talked about the Son, and now we talk about the Spirit. So I want to kind of bring that picture of God together as we, as we kind of put a semicolon in the series, though Advent has everything to do with what we're talking about, and I think will fit nicely kind of in this point in the series. Um, and so I want to kind of pull those pieces that we've already talked about together and then look at how the Holy Spirit completes the picture by talking about what I have on the screen here, that the Holy Spirit is the source of God's presence, the God's, pur God's purpose, and God's promise. Uh, I originally had God's presence, God's purpose, uh, or God's presence, God's mission, and God's promise, but uh, that was partly just to avoid three Ps, I decided. And so, in a tribute to my father, who has never seen a three-point sermon that starts with the same letters that he can't preach, uh, I went with the alliteration. Um, tonight. So we've, before we get into that, though, like I said, I want to kind of pull this whole picture of what we've talked about, the faith that was handed down to us has to say about who God is. And so we began by talking about who is God, the creator, and I gave us 10 truths that I think kind of give us a sense of who this God is. And what is true about him and what we can reliably know about him. And then the next week, we ask the question, okay, if that's who God is, where is he? Why do we see in the course of our lives, in the course of history, so many moments when it, it feels like a God like that isn't present? And, and the, the gist of that story is that he's always been the same. He's like that. He's always been like that. But that humans, us don't always uh, gravitate toward a God like that. We don't always want to be in his presence. We don't always want to live a life that understands 
that if that's who God is, my life should be arranged around him and around what he says and around the ways that he created me to live. Sometimes I want to live the way I want to live. So a story has unfolded through the centuries beginning at the very beginning, and we kind of trace that story from the Tower of Babel when people decided they had their own way to get to heaven, they had their own way to live perfectly, and God said, that's gonna lead to their destruction, so I'm gonna confuse them and scatter them, and in the midst of that scattering, God called Abraham and said, if you will be my guy, if you will do what I say, here's my promise. Here's what will be true. I will heal the world, and I will start it in you and your people. And the people that come from you will be part of my healing of the world. And so Abraham says yes. And soon after Abraham faithfully says yes, Abraham wanders and he lies. And that story makes its way throughout history. The scriptures tell us of Jacob and Joseph and Moses and this ongoing story of people saying yes to God and then wandering and being exiled from the land and the life that they were made for. And God, again and again, saying, here's the way back. Here's the way home. And that cycle continuing again and again and again, and we get to David, where the people decide, we'll finally be able to do this if we just have a king. Um, And that doesn't work either, though David is a good king. David is flawed as well. And we just see the cycle repeat itself again and again. But the reality of that cycle, the reality of people's rebellion never changes the nature of God. It never stops the fact that he is steady in his goodness and in his desire to bring his people home. And so as people keep circling back to that understanding that we can't do it on our own, we need to quit walking away from God, but there's this thing in us, it's like a magnet that draws us away How are we ever going to break this cycle? Um, God, again and again and again, comes to rescue them and shows his intention to make the world right. And the scriptures tell us that in the house of the God of Jacob, the prophet said to the people at some point, in the house of the God of Jacob, Jacob who was imperfect, but who was God's child, that in in God's house, he will teach us his ways so that we can walk in his path. That's always been God's heart, that if you, no matter how far you've wandered, will come back, I'll show you my way. I'll show you how to live. And so that story kind of gave us these truths. From the start, God has been working from within the world to heal the world. This is what he's always been doing. Jesus comes after, so we're about to get to the point in the story where Jesus arrives, but Jesus comes after we failed again and again to receive his gifts of grace, God's continued goodness and grace toward us. But God will not be stopped. Jesus is the proof that God is relentless in his grace and his goodness. And so Paul describes this in Ephesians 1, the passage that that Scott read to us a few minutes ago this way. And this is true of God even before we see Jesus come on the scene. Blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, who grants us every spiritual blessing in these heavenly realms where we live in the Anointed, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done for us. God chose us to be in a relationship with him even before he laid out plans for this world. So though Paul is writing in the aftermath of Jesus, he's saying, 
from the beginning, this is who God has been. He has chosen us to be in a relationship with us. He wanted us to live holy lives characterized by love, free from sin, and blameless before him. So because that's who God is and because this is how the story has unfolded, we get Jesus arriving on the scene and we have Jesus doing this from the start, saying to the people that time, the time that God, that we've been waiting for, for God to really fulfill his promise for him to deliver us from our oppressors, from the things in the world that come at us and hold us down, and from ourselves, from our own cycle of sin and rebellion. That time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near and Jesus says, repent. You have to change the way that you understand your life and the way that you live your life and believe the good news. So God's promises, Jesus is saying, God's promises and God's purposes are going to be fulfilled and through me, through Jesus, God will usher in this new reign of justice and peace and beauty and all the things that God's people have been waiting for. So Jesus is announcing the kingdom and then as Jesus' life unfolds, he's executed. And the truth of his execution for us is this, that the crucifixion and death of Jesus make a way for reconciliation with God once and for all. And Paul writes about this in Ephesians 1-2. He says, he, God, destined us to be adopted as his children through the covenant. This is the promise initiated with Abraham that has carried God's relationship with his people from that point forward. Through the covenant, Jesus the anointed inaugurated. Jesus changed the nature of that promise in his sacrificial life. This was his pleasure and his will for us. Ultimately, God is the one worthy of praise for showing us his grace. He is merciful and marvelous, freely giving us these gifts in his beloved. Visualize this, Paul says, his blood freely flowing down the cross, setting us free. We are forgiven for our sinful ways by the richness of his grace, which he has poured over all, all over us. So in the death and in the crucifixion of Jesus, we're brought in. We're made once and for all children. That promise that God made to Abraham comes to fullness in the death of Jesus. And then we have the resurrection of Jesus, which empowers God's ultimate rescue of his people and renewal of his creation. Paul describes it this way in Romans 8. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. So that's, that's the picture up to this point. And it points us toward the spirit, which we're gonna talk about for a few minutes tonight. But first, I just wanna kind of give us a summary, kind of overall picture of what we've seen. We have God from the beginning who creates, who loves, who corrects, who forgives, who redeems. This is his nature. This is the story unfolding. And then we have humanity who initially is inclined to receive the goodness of God and to say he made us so he knows how we should live and how we should be and so we obey and then we disobey and then we wander and then we repent and that's on repeat. That's the story as it unfolds again and again and again. And then Jesus comes into the story and he makes a way for rescue once and for all from that cycle that cycle that we've lived, that our ancestors lived, that we were born into, that is part of our DNA and part of our story. Jesus makes a way for rescue from that cycle. 
He also sets in motion the unfolding of God's kingdom. He doesn't just rescue me individually, but he says God's reign, God's rule, the goodness of God defining the nature of reality is now coming once and for all through me. And then Jesus also departs with a promise to return. So he does the things he does in his life and his death and his resurrection, and then he leaves promising that he's going to come back. And that leaves us with this question of what until then. And Jesus is pretty clear about the what happens in the absence of his bodily presence for us until he comes back. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is my third sermon this uh, year in 2018 where I've talked in some detail about the Holy Spirit. In January, as we were talking about community, we talked about the Trinity and about kind of the nature of God being Father, Son, and Spirit, being one God but three distinct persons who all have a real presence and a real purpose. And then in May on Pentecost, uh, we talked about, I talked about the arrival of the Holy Spirit and when that happened, how that happened, and and what we can see in the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And these were the things uh, that I kind of in summary said about the Spirit that day, that the Spirit is God, that the Spirit is present in the world. And the Spirit is present, if you have received the good news of the gospel, the Spirit is present in you, actually lives in you. The Spirit speaks on God's behalf and guides us in truth, has an active purpose in communicating to us for God, as God, and guiding us into what is true. The Spirit's our helper in hardship, even in the apparent absence of Jesus, though we can't see him and touch him, and we sort of feel that distance The Spirit is our helper in those times. And then through the Spirit, God is dealing with and reconciling the world to himself. And I don't have anything dramatically different from that to say, but I do want today to dive into this just a little bit more specifically in the context of this unfolding story that we've been talking about the last couple of months, um, of this focused understanding that, that we're trying to gain on the faith which was once and for all given to God's people. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit doing in and around us? Um, And uh, yeah, that's the essence of it. So I want to talk about those, those three points that I mentioned, starting with this. The Holy Spirit is the source of God's presence. Jesus told us this even before he died, even before he went through his death and resurrection, which, by the way, he he makes it clear that the Holy Spirit can't come in fullness for us until he goes through what he has to go through and is glorified. But in, in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father to send you another helper, the Spirit of truth, who will remain constantly with you. So this is the first thing we know about the Spirit that the Spirit is a helper, that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. Truth is coming from the Spirit, and that the Spirit is constantly with us. There is no coming and going of God's Spirit for those who know the Lord. Jesus says, the world does not recognize the Spirit of truth because it does not know the Spirit and is unable to receive Him, but you do know the Spirit because He lives with you and He will dwell in you. The Spirit is not only constantly with you, the Spirit lives, Jesus says, in you. 
And then further down in verse 26, he says, the Father is sending a great helper, the Holy Spirit, in my name to teach you everything and to remind you of all I have said to you. If you jump ahead a couple of chapters in John 16, Jesus says similar uh, but a little more in-depth things about the Spirit. He says, but now I'm going to the one who has sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? I know that hearing news like this is overwhelming and sad. He's talking to his disciples who don't understand. They, they, don't, they have followed Jesus believing he's the one. This is God come back. This is the king we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. And now he's telling them he's about to leave. He's going to be killed. And he tells them he's going to be raised. They don't get it. But he's explaining to them, my absence from you is coming. And he says, I know that hearing news like this is overwhelming and sad, but the truth is that my departure will be a gift that will serve you well, because if I don't leave, the great helper will not come to your aid. When I leave, I will send him to you. The spirit of truth will come and guide you in all truth. He will not speak his own words to you. He will speak what he hears, revealing to you the things to come and bringing glory to me, Jesus. The spirit has unlimited access to me, to all that I possess and know, just as everything the Father has is mine. That is the reason I am confident he will care for my own and reveal the path to you. In these words from Jesus in both texts, Jesus acknowledges there is going to be a sense in which um, I think it was unique to his earliest followers who lived with his presence on a day-to-day basis and then were facing the lack of his presence. And that's, if, if you ever give your yourself time and space to kind of get into that reality, it's kind of mind-blowing that they had, they had banked everything on him and now he's gone. But we experience that in our own way. Though we haven't walked physically with Jesus, our faith is often tested and challenged by the fact that we're living by faith, that we've never seen him, that we are... Uh, in that group of people that Jesus prays for in John 17, that the scriptures that we're told are blessed because we haven't seen and yet we believe. But we experience that ache of the absence of Jesus in all kinds of different ways. We would like often a more tangible presence of Jesus. And, and we long for him to really come and be present and make everything new. And Jesus addresses that and says, and I love this particular translation because he says, my leaving is actually a gift because you don't get the spirit if I don't go through what I have to go through and leave you. And the spirit is a unique kind of gift to you. It is a way of knowing God that is unique to you. He says, my absence is a gift because the spirit will arrive. And then he tells us all of these things about the Spirit, that the Spirit dwells in you. He lives. The Spirit will actually live in you. The Spirit is a helper. The Spirit cares for you. He says, I trust the Spirit to tend to my own until I come back from him. And the Spirit teaches us. The Spirit instructs us in the way that we should live. And it's true, we'll get into this again in January, that the Scriptures give us instruction, but as we'll see when we start talking about the nature of the scriptures, the scriptures are breathed to life by the Spirit. So both the instruction of the scriptures themselves and the active work of the Spirit in teaching and instructing us, they work hand in hand. And this is the role of the Spirit for us now. 
is to help us, to care for us, and to teach us, okay? Spirit is also the source of God's purpose. Jesus says this in Luke chapter four, the spirit of the Lord, the eternal one is on me. Why? And it's important to follow his logic here. The spirit is on me. Why is the spirit on me? Because the eternal designated me to be his representative to the poor, to preach good news to them. He sent me to tell those who are held captive that they can now be set free and to tell the blind that they can now see. He sent me to liberate those held down by oppression. In short, the spirit is upon me to proclaim that now is the time. This is the jubilee season of the eternal one's grace. Beginning in the life of Jesus, we see two things because though it's true that we don't get the spirit in the way that we get the spirit until Jesus is glorified and gone, The Spirit doesn't just come into existence at that point. The Spirit has always existed, always part of God, and and the Spirit was upon Jesus in his life. And so beginning in his life, we see two things. We see God's mission in the world defined. The Spirit is on Jesus to do these things that he articulates in Luke 4. This is the mission of God in the world, and the Spirit is directing and empowering that mission. And that's the second thing that we see here, that It is the Spirit who gives definition. It is the Spirit who empowers God's mission in the world. Jesus says, this mission is why the Spirit is on him. And then in Acts 1, if that's true, if if the reason that the Spirit of God is on Jesus is to empower, to define and empower and direct God's mission through him, Then we get Jesus transferring that to us in Acts 1. He says, The Father, on his own authority, has determined the ages and epochs of history, but you have not been given this knowledge. God unfolds history the way God is going to unfold history, and you don't always understand it. We don't always understand it. But you have not... Here's the knowledge that you need, though. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, first here in Jerusalem, then beyond to Judea and Samaria, and finally to the farthest places on the earth. Jesus says the Spirit will come to his followers and empower them to fulfill the mission of God to bear witness. And this is the the mission as he lays it out. The Spirit will come on you to empower you to bear witness to my life, to my death to my resurrection, to the good news of what all of that means. And to, cl- to declare, as Jesus did, that the kingdom is here. To declare the kingdom and the good news that Jesus declared. So the Spirit's on Jesus. Why? To direct and empower the mission that Jesus speaks of. And then as Jesus is preparing to leave, he says... Now the Spirit is coming to you to do the same thing, to direct you and to empower you for God's purposes. And Paul elaborates on that mission, which is empowered by the Spirit, and he says in more detail that we play a key role in the purpose of God. In this Ephesians passage, he articulates that. With all wisdom and insight, he has enlightened us to the great mystery at the center of his will. With immense pleasure, He laid out his intentions through Jesus, a plan that will climax when the time is right as he returns to create order and unity, both in heaven and on earth, 
when all things are brought together under the anointed's royal rule. In him, we stand to inherit even more. As his heirs, we are predestined to play a key role in his unfolding purpose that is energizing everything to conform to his will. The spirit of the Lord was on Jesus to direct and empower his mission. And that same spirit is in us now to empower us to play a key role in his unfolding purpose, which Paul says is energizing everything to conform to his will. The purpose of God originates and is directed by the spirit. And this is an important uh, thing for us to remember. I know that, that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we can never talk about it enough. Uh, every time I preach on this, it, it creates this sort of swell of questions about what about gifts of the Spirit, and it, it would take years to preach through all of that. And I encourage us to dive deeper into all of that. But what we're talking about tonight, I think, is is the way into those conversations. And one of the important things to remember is that the Spirit exists to direct and empower God's purpose and God's mission. And we need to be sure that all of our other conversations about the Spirit, all of our other movements into the Spirit, all of the things that we ascribe to the Holy Spirit are about that. Because that's why the Spirit is here. The Spirit's not here to sort of give us... Uh, our own euphoric experiences, those, that kind of thing may happen when we encounter the Spirit in certain ways. Spirit's not here primarily to do for me things that I would like done. The Spirit is here primarily to be God's presence and to see his purpose fulfilled. So everything that we ascribe to the Spirit has to circle back to this question. Is this about the fulfillment of God's purpose? Last thing is that the Spirit is the source of God's promise. We, we already saw this in, in this fifth verse of Ephesians 1 where Paul writes, he destined us to be adopted as his children through the covenant Jesus the anointed inaugurated in his sacrificial life. This was his pleasure and his will for us. This is the first step in the total fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. This is Paul saying, we're part of that story. The Spirit is here to fulfill our part of that story, to bring it to fruition as God promised Abraham from the start. And then down in verse 12, he writes this, as a result, we, the first to place our hope in the anointed one, will live in a way to bring him glory and praise because you too have heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and because you believed in the one who is truth, your lives are marked with his seal. This is none other than the Holy Spirit who was promised as the guarantee toward the inheritance we are to receive when he frees and rescues all who belong to him. To God be all praise and glory. Because you received the good news of Jesus, you are marked with a seal. This is, a, this is not theoretical doctrine. This is what has really happened for all of you, for all of us who have received the good news of Jesus. You are marked with a seal. And that seal, Paul says, is the Holy Spirit who was promised as the guarantee toward the inheritance. When you read toward the inheritance, your mind should be screaming, covenant, covenant, covenant. 
This is the spirit coming into this story that has been at work since the beginning, since God first made the promise. And the spirit is there as a guarantee toward what we were promised, toward the inheritance we are to receive when he frees and rescues all who belong to us. And then in another spot, and this is a really, another really powerful passage in our understanding of the Spirit, Paul further connects the salvation of Jesus, so us being saved by Jesus, and the coming of the Holy Spirit to God fulfilling his promises through our salvation. In, in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes this. In Jesus, we sang this earlier, we hear a resounding yes to all of God's many promises. This is the reason we say amen to and through Jesus when giving glory to God. Remember that God has established our relationship. He's talking about the church, the community of God, our relationship with you in the anointed one. And he has anointed and commissioned us for this special mission. He has marked us with his seal and placed his spirits in our hearts as a guarantee, a down payment of the things to come. God is fulfilling all of his promises to us and he's doing that through the spirit who he has left in the absence of Jesus as we await Jesus' return, leaving the spirit as a down payment on the things to come. Paul says Jesus is God's yes. When we ask the question of whether God will indeed do what he promised, whether God is real, whether God can reconcile the things that are broken, whether God can bring beauty out of all of the ugliness that we see around us, when we ask those questions, and the scriptures tell us that God has promised to do that, Paul says the spirit, the presence of God in the world through the spirit is God's yes to our question, will God actually do that? He says Jesus also anoints us. He commissions us as he leaves for God's mission of reconciling the whole world through the good news of that promise. So the spirit is God saying, yes, I will do what I've said I will do, and I'm here with you working it out as the ages unfold. And Jesus anoints us and says, guess what? You're a part of that as God unfolds that purpose. And even though Jesus is not here with us in bodily form right now, God has placed his spirit. By the way, as we read last week and a few minutes ago, this is the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the spirit that can still bring death, life from all of the death and destruction that we see in the world, God has placed that spirit in our hearts as a guarantee, a down payment of the things to come. And that language matters. Jesus, God says that he has given us the spirit as a guarantee, as a down payment. It's real currency. So that means two things. It means, number one, that it is a guarantee, that it is a, something that we have in our presence that promises God is coming to fulfill the whole thing, but a down payment is real money. It's real currency. It is real and active in God accomplishing his purposes and God fulfilling his promises. And Jesus, after Paul, we see Paul saying that it's a guarantee of, of what is to come, we know what is to come because Jesus told us what is to come in that John 16 passage we read. He said, the spirit has unlimited access to me, to all that I possess and know, just as everything the father has is mine. 
That's the reason I'm confident he will care for my own and reveal the path to you. And then Jesus says this, for a little while you will not see me, but after that a time will come when you will see me again. Paul says the spirit is a guarantee of what's to come, and Jesus told us what is to come, that he will be gone in his physical presence for a little while, but he's leaving the real presence of God in the Holy Spirit to help us, to tend to us, and to guarantee and move us toward and to sweep us up in the purposes of God until that promise is once and for all fulfilled. So this is the big picture. This is the story. We have God, humanity, in this cycle of creation and love and rejection and desire to return home, and then Jesus intervening to make a way for us to bring the kingdom to earth. And then we have Jesus departing, but Jesus says this is actually a gift, and the reason it's a gift is because God sends the Holy Spirit to be his presence in our hearts and in the world as he works out his purpose. And Ephesians 1.10 says the purpose is this, a plan that will climax when the time is right as he returns to create order and unity, both in heaven and on earth, when all things are brought together under the anointed's rule. That plan, God's purpose, will fulfill God's promise as it was made in Abraham. The Holy Spirit, we often, I think, tend to separate well, there's the Old Testament, and then there's this stuff about Jesus, and then there's this. We, we look at our doctrine in these segmented ways. And my hope and my desire is that we see the big picture. We see the story that we're a part of. We see the promise that God made early on in his interaction with humankind that, as Josh so beautifully said to us, no matter what you have done, I made you. I know you. I will not stop coming after you and offering a way back to redemption. And we see that come to life in the ultimate way in the life of Jesus. And then we see, because we don't know, Paul says, the way that God will unfold the times. But as he does, we see the real presence of God in the form of the Holy Spirit, who has a purpose in fulfilling God's promises. And that's our lives. That's here for us, that's available to us. That is God alive in us, reminding us why we exist, reminding us that he will fulfill that promise. Let's pray.